0: You're listening to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby Podcast. We're live each Monday night on YouTube, available for download every Wednesday morning through your favorite podcast provider, and always online at earfulofdirt.com. Bringing you the latest news, views, and abuse from across the United States, here's your hosts. And we're live. Welcome to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Corey Munson, coming to you live from Des Moines, Iowa. I'm joined, as always, by Aaron Castro in Arizona. And our co-host, Liam, is actually on assignment tonight. He is at the NSCRO Championship. So uh, I'm looking forward to hearing all about that next week. In his place, we have got uh, Craig Gradelli from New York City. And, uh, yeah, Craig, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, tell the nice people a little bit about yourself.
1: Yeah, uh, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm happy to be here. I, I am from New York. Uh, I've actually lived in Seattle and Austin as well, so I'm, I'm slowly making my way through all the MLR cities. Um, you probably, if, if you've seen or heard of me before, it's probably as a writer for the runner sports. Uh, I cover MLR and USA Rugby, and uh, you probably, uh, you may have seen me on Twitter at American RFC.
0: Fantastic. And you'll be sure to follow that, uh, his Twitter handle because he's just got so much great information on a regular basis. So thank you so much for being here, Craig. We really appreciate the uh, pinch hitting there. So as always, Josh Fredlin is behind the camera, hanging out in the comments section, uh, doing the moderation duty for us. So thank you, Josh, for that. And I guess with all that said, uh, what you guys been up to this week? How's your week been?
2: Craig, why are you underselling yourself? I mean we could, talk, we, we could talk about how you uh you played in the in, in the black market uh that is uh is is business school rugby union.
1: Yeah. That. That's that's off the radar. No one's supposed to know about that as it's completely unregulated. No, yeah, I, I played uh, I, I did play at business school at University of Chicago on uh, NBA World Cup. Uh, Played here in the city with New York Rugby Club for the last seven years or so. Um, So yeah, I'm uh, typically well. I started as a uh, as a flanker, but uh, these days I'm pretty much a prop.
0: So you just tell honestly, are you going to be starting for Rooney in the playoffs? Yes or no? (laughs) <laughs> uh, no, no. Hopefully not.
1: So, can you play?
2: Can you play scrum half? Because uh, I mean, I was told Ben Foden is the backup scrum half right now. So they might they might need you to. How good's your service?
1: I'm not sure that they they fully appreciate my strategic mind. So I'm gonna say they're gonna pass on me at scrum half. But uh, <laughs> let's hope it doesn't come down to Ben Foden either. You know, that would that would be a, a dark time for New York. <laughs>
2: So I mean, all right. So, so last week I had some recording uh, issues for another podcast I work on that is rugby related. Holy shit! Uh, uh, outside of building, you know, rebuilding redundancies, in which I was like, uh, I think Grant Cole was like, y- I mean, you used to be the head of the redundancy department. So when I worked, when I was in the army, um, a long time ago, um, not as long ago as uh, as Craig, but uh, we we did operational testing of all the new communications equipment. So basically we did our missions, but also had the newest radios on the shit. And you always had to be redundant because guess what? Uh, Communications always dies. Um, It sucks. And so I had to figure my, uh, I guess my back, my third backup when I had to fall in on that, if you were, I'm sorry if you, couldn't really hear the J.P. Smith interview, uh, that'll, you know, that'll be fixed. The, I mean, I tried editing the file and it just, it was, it was rough, but whatever. Um, J.P. Smith, uh, for the Seattle Seabroles, really cool dude. Uh, man, he's got, he, he's got a bullet um, for a right hand when he dishes out. And, you know, he's pretty good with his left, too, when he dishes out of a scrum or a breakdown. So that's, uh, that's pretty nice. But, uh, I mean, last week was really good rugby-wise. Uh, premiership semifinals, I liked how everything was staggered so I didn't have to watch every single one of those European games at the same time, so that was cool. Um, and then MLR games, really wild stuff.
0: That might be the understatement of the night right there. Craig, what you been up to?
1: Well, I enjoyed my three-day weekend. I agree. It was great rugby. Also, the uh, the sevens tournament. Uh, USA couldn't quite beat Fiji, but it uh, was exciting nonetheless. Uh, incredible MLR weekend, though. Uh, couldn't make it out to MCU this weekend, but exciting game there. And then Sunday finisher with a surprise draw was Pretty much as exciting as it gets, and it's going to be an exciting last week.
0: Uh, it certainly is. We've got a lot. Uh, we've got a lot to go through. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, I guess around here, not not a whole lot new. We just can't seem to stop raining in the Midwest. So I don't know what's with that. But otherwise, uh, had some had a little bit of TV time. Had a lot of family time over the holidays. So yeah, it's a good weekend. I guess I'll uh, go ahead and introduce the show for those of you uh, new to Earful of Dirt. Uh, We do this each and every Monday night here live on YouTube, and then each and every Wednesday morning, we post a podcast version online. We discuss Major League Rugby, the United States Professional Rugby Union. It's a chance for us to look at the issues, hear from the league, players, and team leadership, and check in with our friends from across the U.S. rugby scene like Craig. So there you go. Aaron, what we got to on the show this week? Uh well, well, Houston with their grand opening
2: of Aviva this time, the soft opening didn't really go that well, but they uh man, they looked good. Yes, it was Austin, but you know, Austin tends to make all the good teams look like crap even though they still lose. So uh they looked good. That was it was really good to see what they've been able to do under Coach Paul Emmerich, and we'll we'll talk about that. Uh Oblivion? That's a strong word, man. Uh, so New Orleans uh, continues to skid this time uh, against, uh, you know, another playoff contender in in New York. Uh, but uh, we'll talk about that. Uh, Toronto, man, whew, they are hot. They, oh, man, whew, that, they're going to be intense. Uh, the Raptors, well, now the Raptors are sliding into oblivion. That would be accurate. Uh, they they were turned, the arrows shot down a bunch of raptors, and they were turned into a sandwich. <laughs> um, spe- specifically the Old Glory Sandwich. If you haven't seen the Old Glory Sandwich uh, put together by Cuisine Solutions, check that out. Um, hey, we need to sponsor Cuisine Solutions, so uh, I wouldn't mind. Uh, Utah at Seattle. That was a great nightcap. Um, we'll talk about draws at the end of the show. Towards the meat of the show, I guess, uh, after we get it cover these games, but yeah, so there's that.
0: So let's get right to it. Um, yeah, we opened the weekend with uh, Houston hosting Austin at Aviva, and uh, you guys are right. It w- or you're right, Aaron. It is just it's a beautiful stadium. It's absolutely wonderful to have another stadium in the United States that is rugby specific. Uh, compare that to if you happen to catch any of the. Uh, uh old glory dc game tonight uh they were playing on a football field that had really poorly painted uh rugby lines on it so uh, <laughs> we can talk about that later but uh austin did fall to houston uh 15 to 36 was the final score on that one craig you're the guest why don't you uh lead us off with a little bit of a analysis here
1: yeah uh well i think the first thing that has to be mentioned is the grass stayed connected to the earth uh so that was a win Viva! since that was a big improvement from the soft opening but uh also big improvement is just Houston's play under coach Emmerich I think looking back to last year and earlier this year everyone's always remarked that Houston had a talented side and for whatever reason it just wasn't getting done under the previous leadership I think the age of Emmerich is off to a great start and yeah, again like Aaron said it is Austin and they had a stunner against Nola that's one game and you know don't want to over-read into things, but they really look like a team that's playing with a bit of swag now that they didn't have earlier this year or last year. Um, Austin, on the other hand, not really showing much swag. Uh, this was probably their, their last realistic chance to get a win for the year. Sitting at 0-15, now they travel out to Seattle. That's going to be tough for them. Looking at an 0-16 season, um, I think everyone remembers a couple weeks ago, uh, their front office was on YouTube in the news, you know, talking about the struggles of Austin. And, and one of the things they mentioned was a uh, lack of a developed rugby community in Austin. And I think everyone here in America can sympathize with community growing issues. Um, but I think it's worth noting that the Austin club scene is great right now. I think they have two, I think they have both a Division One and a Division Three national champ title contender on the men's side. And I think I could be wrong, but I think even they have a women's team uh, also in the national championship. So, I mean, three club teams doing great. You got to f- wonder what exactly is going on in Austin and can that continue next year?
2: Um. Uh, yeah, it's, it's really, it's Austin's interesting they, they, I guess, uh, I guess we're going to go backwards. So, lack of connection. One of the one of the things that really matters is your spine, um, and so uh, we talked about sele- spine selection and consistency of selection from the the two to the eight to the nine to the ten to the fullback. So you have a salt. If you have a solid spine, you're probably going to be good. And then you have to have like specific a nine ten connection. And Austin and Houston have really struggled with this all season. Uh, Austin, um, unlike last year, I think, you know, you know who they need, you know who was really good at this at running their system was Marcus Walsh they should, that's who they needed. And and Walsh is now out with, I think, a, a season-ending injury. He wasn't available this week, uh, which, which sucks for him. But that was, I mean, of the three scrum halves they had last season, he was the best one, and he really ran ran that system pretty well. Uh, Michael Romero played one game for them last year, and he seemed to do it okay, but they've, man, They've gone through scrum halves and tens this year. that They just can't seem to get that chemistry set so that they can run their system the way they did last year. Last year, they had a pretty potent attack and no defense. This year, they have a decent defense and an attack that just can't get off the ground. And when they do score points, it's basically athletes on a line break getting lucky really um and you know houston for most of this season really struggled uh with when errata was there i, I felt that errata was worth uh you know wins in the two games that they had errata they won so that's kind of interesting uh and and i guess the connection between murphy and windsor just sort of wasn't there but there were there were some other like connectivity issues when it came to how they were running their system whereas you know what that, that has changed so much like with the way that they played against New York, although it wasn't like really good, uh, to get them a win. They still, st- they, they stifled, um, Hey, stifle, um, financial. We need to say, <laughs> uh, they stifled D- uh, New York pretty hard, but they just weren't there. They weren't really in this newer well, wide open system that they were wanted to play, which they did play against, uh, against new Orleans. And they definitely played this time. Although uh, Austin, I, I've talked about sort of that Austin defense, and this is where it really gets sort of weird uh, that I wasn't expecting from Houston is that they didn't win a hundred percent of their scrums against Austin. In fact, they won less of the less percentage of their scrums than Austin did and their lineout percentage was also kind of trash. Uh, what they did do is man, they took advantage of some opportunities uh line breaks 11 to two uh Jamison Fa Nana Schultz uh, threatened Palamo and uh Joshua Vithy. like they're at like they are playing within a system where if they hit the gap they will score like threatened Palamo looks he's 30 now he hasn't really played a lot in the last two years but he looks like he It looks like he's 25. He looks good. Like that's like, he looks really good. So I think he is going to push contention uh, at a center pairing that uh, in Paula CK and Bryce Campbell, that hasn't really been touched in two years uh, since Paula CK and Bryce Campbell started playing together. So that's really good to see going into the world cup. Uh, You know, what's there to, what's there to say about Austin? I, I hope you guys figure out what you need to figure out off the field. And you don't really do too many changes because wholesale changes. Again, if you junk this roster, like you did this last year, because they only, so this is how you don't create continuity. Of your 33 players that you had under contract, you keep 11. And most of those guys were starters that you got rid of. So if you have to add 22, and, and the season was long, they had injuries. The other teams have had injuries, but those they had more continuity. Houston, one of the reasons why they lost games, had to definitely be continuity because they replaced a lot of players too. It, it, look at the roster. It's different. Um, the only team that added, and oh, I guess another team that stunk it up a lot, that didn't have a lot of continuity, was Utah. So the teams that had the least amount of continuity from season to season were end up being the bottom three on the table. So that that's a lot. One of the things that you really talk about in rugby, um, uh, to go towards the front end. Uh, they, before this game, both teams has, can scored 27 tries and fifth conceded 57 tries. So they were kind of equally as bad in theory. Uh, this defense for Houston though, the line speed of it, it sort of reminds me of San Diego and it sort of sucks that we won't get to see this Houston, the Emmerich Houston team against San Diego uh, later on because the season is over for them after this week. And they have a chance to finish with six wins. Like, they really do. I think they'll finish with five because I think six is... Like, the the Utah game is a bit much, especially with the way Utah has been improving, and and it really requires them to be healthy and fit and rested, and they have three games in eight days. So, yeah.
0: That's a lot. So the uh, second game of the weekend was uh, NOLA at Rooney, and uh, this is – okay, so the headline was me. Uh, It was not Aaron. I I said that uh, NOLA continues their slide into oblivion. Um, but it's another loss, um, another close, close, close loss, uh, this time at the hands of Rooney. Uh, the final score is 22 to 24. Aaron, you want to lead us off into this one?
2: Yep. So New Orleans has worked hard on this scrum, and, and really the statistics kind of like show that for them, especially over the last two weeks. They have worked. Hey, if a uh, scrum consultant business, uh, Team Corps, if, if an MLR team or a college team needs some help, at Team Corbs, um, you can get a hold of them. He has worked with San Diego. He's worked with Houston. Alex Corb Zero has – and he was on the broadcast for, for Rooney this weekend. So he has worked with a bunch of different teams in MLR and a bunch of college teams this year as well. So if, if you guys need uh, some help, um, he'll you know give you that British and Irish line coaching. Uh I, I'm going to disagree with Craig here, and he'll he'll talk about why on on his end. But time of possession for me is a really irrelevant stat, especially in Major League Rugby, because we've seen some games where there was like a 30% um, possession in favor of the winning team and 70% possession in favor of the losing team, and it sort of almost happened here. Uh, for the most part, I New York really just wasn't able to score when they needed to. And a lot of that had to do with the New Orleans defense. But one of the things that they, I really think that is going to help New York if they make it into the playoffs is something that was different for them. And, or it was just as different when I watched this game, was the attacking play on restarts. I haven't seen them play like this or at least get that good of contention uh, this whole year. Connor Wallace Sims or Marco Key from Mike Sinclair, or even I think Luke Hume got up and in the face of a NOLA player. And they stole three restarts from New Orleans and were able to convert, I think, two tries off of that. Uh Connor Wallace Sims on the first restart just went up and got it. I'm pretty sure Nick Feeks was or wait, who was on the right side? Uh Tongawea. Testimony Tongawea was probably very, very mad. Uh about that one, no, Tim Moppin. Tim Moppin was on the right side, he actually had a really good game for uh New Orleans, uh, over 100 meters made. Uh, Holden Younger had a really good game. I thought Cam Dolan played well. In fact, uh, in a lot of ways, I don't think a bunch of, of New York players played well, but a bunch of New York players also played very well. Cahal Marsh is, is really healthy now, which uh, you know, he took some hits, but. The last two games for him have been really good. Um, and, of course, the butcher does butcher things. He's becoming sort of my idol uh, because hookers are the best and most intelligent men on the pitch. Uh, overall, statistically, it was pretty even uh, in meters made and in, in meters kicked. Scrums both 100% um, for both teams. Similar lineout percentage, similar turnover percentage, similar penalty count. Uh, so this was probably the, the best game of the weekend until you get Sunday. Sunday night, rather.
1: Yeah, uh, so, uh, you know, I agree with Aaron that time of possession isn't always a critical thing. I think in this particular game, it was very telling of New York's game plan. And I think when you look at NOAA, all year they've been extremely dangerous with ball in hand. They're incredibly talented attackers, especially in space. And I think that the way that New York in this particular game countered that was by just not giving Noel the ball. So sometimes you see the team with higher possession still loses. That's fine. And I agree that there's an issue with finishing. And I think if, if you want to look at a, a problem with the way New York played this week, it, it was definitely finishing, right? I mean, they had prolonged goal line drives where they were just phase after phase at the try line, couldn't get through. So I think that's, a little bit surprising considering how well they were able to control the ball with their forwards everywhere else on the pitch. Uh, couldn't bust it through at the end. But I think I agree with a lot of what Aaron said in terms of Colin Marsh is healthy again, which really seems to make that offense work on attack without him, without Chris Metina, you know, Harry Bennett, maybe he just didn't have enough reps, but there just wasn't that same sense of direction to what they were doing. Um, I thought Ben Foden had a very good game for New York, uh, I thought, you know, counterattack, kicks, runs, he, he was really keeping the pressure in that second half. You basically never saw, they scored a try. So I, I mean, you saw it, I guess a little bit, but you generally hardly ever saw Nola outside of their half. And um, that's why New York was able to win in such a low scoring contest this week. I do think, you know, Nola played pretty well. I, I think they, hung, you know, held up decently in the scrum they did concede a penalty try in the scrum but i mean they didn't turn over any of their own um so i mean it was just an even match these are two pretty good teams they're both fighting for a playoff spot this was a quasi playoff game and it came down to the wire it's exciting one to watch
2: i look at this game and you talk about that penalty try so that usually shows some dominance and i think of the, scr- of, like, of the packs, they were the more dominant scrum, of course, for New York uh, with that penalty try. But even throughout the game, more so. Uh, and I'll highlight this in the next match we'll cover, which is Toronto versus Glendale. But uh, you had, you know, King Thompson, who um, Simone International... Uh, playing number five or playing the four lock but they also had an undersized lock who has played uh, in Nikola Bursic who has played lock for the Chilean national team but he's 6-2 and uh, I will talk about short locks um, shortly so they have some injuries and in where they're missing some guys in that engine room that would help would have helped them in this case after they've you know done some work to improve their their scrummage so yeah you know it's I think we've learned in in Major League Rugby is that if you can't scrum it's bad so if if you let it be more than 50 50 because that's what internationally how you look at the decisions from the ref if you let it get to the point where you know one team's going to be fully dominant you're going to be screwed
0: Third up this weekend, uh, we had the Raptors traveling up to Toronto, and holy cow, that was that was a thumping, just a good old fashioned uh, Canadian thumping. Uh, the final score was uh, forty to twelve in Toronto's favor. Uh, Craig, what do you think? I think uh, I wouldn't
1: want to be playing Toronto right now. I mean, they are playing great, you know. They lost that first home game to Noah And I think all year when you looked at the schedule, everyone said, okay, they have eight home games to end it. And that's when they got to go on their run. And they lost that first home game. They were, I, I believe they were a game under 500 at that point. Uh, and it looked pretty dark. And since then, they I mean, they're untouchable. They beat San Diego. They beat Seattle. Um, and then these, the games aren't even close now. I mean, they, they destroyed Glendale this week, six tries. I mean, it, they did it in every element of the game. They're out they're outset piecing their opponents. They're playing better defense than their opponents. They have more exciting open play than their opponents. Um, really they're they they may even be hotter than San Diego right now. I mean that they may be the informed team and uh, I wouldn't want to play them. Glendale look um, Glendale for me will always have a special place in MLR history. They're in the 2018 standard bearers in a sense they were the regular season champs obviously they were the runner-ups in the end but um you know they're they're always they were kind of the first name of quality and uh this year was a tough year for them uh they're not going to make the playoffs there's no obvious route to making the playoffs next year i mean uh, things change a lot from year to year here but you know they they didn't leave a great taste in my mouth and obviously there's a couple games left but right now they haven't left a great taste in my mouth in terms of the Avenue for growth for them. Um, so, you know, we'll see They're they're going to regroup. They have a interesting matchup coming this week and, uh, curious to see how they'll play when they're officially mathematically eliminated.
2: There is an Avenue for growth. I'm going to talk about that. Uh, so I've been beating this drum pretty much all year, uh, since I I was kind of okay with Luke white sort of moving to the, to being a second row last year, but considering how much it has affected their scrum more so because Luke white was probably the best loose head in MLR last year when he, he then somehow transitioned to being a right lock. And I have no idea why that happened. This Props year, are very versatile. Yeah. Uh, this year he lost some weight. So I would say he was less powerful. And you know, when it comes to moving a scrum, when you've got one that's heavy and has more technique, and you have one that's light, it's not going to work. Now, Luke White is a guy that needs to be on the pitch because he has such a high work rate, but he can play six. Like, come on. And then, so the obvious, and then William is like Monroe was out there, and and he's a very dynamic player, especially if he's playing in the back row. Uh, We haven't seen him in a while because he was injured. And he was playing the and he's undersized. He's six foot four. And Luke White is six foot three. And uh having stood next to Brendan Daly, um, he's like six, four and a half, but he is bigger than Monroe is. Like he is a big man. And uh why he's playing six, I don't know. Uh good for him, but he needs to be like for for them, um He probably needs, he's a traditional lock. He's played lock for a very long time and especially at Cal uh, and for the Eagles even. So why he's not locking for them when he is significantly larger, more powerful in the scrum, I don't know. And so the, the next thing would be is going out and find some giants and putting them in their second row. That is the obvious move for growth for Glendale um there you go uh you know Glendale the scrum got pushed back uh not like it wasn't like on like skates like they were when they beat uh Toronto 22-0 to even like they got pushed back every single scrum they lost a bunch of scrums uh they they made a bunch of meters in this game but it was it was, it was a lot of garbage due to the kicking game in Toronto. Toronto really made them come out and exit and then sort of shut it down with their defense, really play in their own half. At times, the, the attack did hum, but holy, it, it looked like that game uh, Glendale played in in New Orleans – Where they put up a thousand meters and lost by 20 points. Like, because what this is, so this is one of the things that I've talked about the last couple of weeks a lot is turnover ratio. So, what is Toronto? Disciplined and they have good hands. Toronto had four turnovers, Glendale had 13. Penalty ratio Toronto had seven, Glendale had 11. The set piece was a mess, only a 69% lineout percentage. Toronto stole two of Glendale's lineouts. And Tor- Toronto was the other defense with great line speed this weekend. Uh, and then line speed coming out of places uh, uh, on first receiver, second receiver, like guys that lit it up. Gaston Mieris. Oh, my gosh. I thought he had a lot more meters than he had in this game, but he had like 92 meters on five carries, three line breaks, two tries. If, if we're playing baseball, this guy is uh, going into the Hall of Fame on that game alone because that is – That's a home run, you know, 40% of the time. Jeez. Uh, Andrew Ferguson and Luke Campbell also had really good games for Toronto as well.
0: And so we wrapped up the weekend with uh, uh, what proved to be the third tie of the MLR season. Uh, And this was, I mean... This was a game. This was the game to watch if you were going to catch a a game this weekend. So we had Utah traveling to Seattle, Uh, Utah, another team that is not going to go into the postseason and uh, Seattle one that is on that bubble right now. And they ended up with a tie score, 27 all. So, Aaron, you want to start us off with this one?
2: So we talked about the consistency of selection along the spine earlier on in the show and, and Utah has slowly been improving and that, that's, that improvement has come with consistency of selection along their spine. Uh, Jeremy Lieber has consistently been their starter at hooker and Johnny Eka at nine and uh, Reeves at fly half. And then uh, Tim O'Malley at 12 and James Semple at fullback. So you have, and then, the eight has been sort of in and out between Les Soa and and si Gila and John Cullen taking different positions on the field. But for the most part, the spine is sort of settled in. Uh, what was their game plan? Um, what does your game plan need to be against Seattle? Don't attack where they're strong. So that back row stay away from them. And, and they sort of did that Uh Nakai Penny and Brad Tucker had, you know, had, decent get had pretty good games uh Samu uh really like statistically he was all over the place he was good don't get me wrong but statistically he he didn't have nearly as many of the opportunities as he probably normally has because Utah stayed away from him because he's scary um did, did Seattle play well uh i don't think so um they played good enough to win they were in a position to win uh, Interesting call, kicking at the end, kicking that penalty instead of kicking to the corner and going into your set piece because their set piece—if you get off the, if you get a line out at the five-meter line, they're probably going in and they probably win this one. Uh, the, some of the guys really didn't have good games. That—that's just uh, off the bench. Uh, Roland Suliula had a really good game for them. Uh, like wow like it, it was really good for when he came off the bench uh george barton um he had a pretty good game what, what i think i saw a gif of him like doing push-ups oh, I, I forget like it was they were waiting for something and he just started doing push-ups it was kind of funny uh I, I know there's a lot of griping about this one but they had their opportunities and this is how i talk about turnover ratio it was in C- and penalties it was in Seattle's favor. Uh, tur- like turnover, they had 10, they had 10 Utah and 13 penalties. They were more disciplined, which is kind of surprising because last year, the most, uh, penalized teams in the league were Seattle and window eight to 14. And that's a lot like Seattle has got their penalty rate down significantly from what they were at last year. So Utah did give them their chances. Um, meters gained this, this is another really close game. If you look at everything, sort of similar in the same vein that new york was both had uh over 700 meters gained utah kicks for 680 685 meters seattle 640 passes uh they pretty much had the same passing rate uh utah had only five more passes think about that so they weren't really passing you to death well i guess they were 130 to 135 the major difference in this game was though was defense Utah attempted 35 more tackles but also made 38 more tackles than that Seattle defense so kind of kind of gives you an idea of what went on
1: yeah I think you know it, it's funny because Seattle I always think of it as a very sound team, they're methodical. they play well, they have good structure, they're intelligent with what they do, and they just go about their business and they do it in a very effective way. These last couple weeks, when Seattle's been playing really well, they've actually shown me more excitement and attack than I've seen in the last two years. And I wonder if they got a little carried away with that this week, because Utah is kind of the opposite. They're very improvisational. They, they're very play what you see. There's not a great, you know, connectivity down the line. There's not a great, uh, you know, team building sense in the way they play, uh, particularly in attack. And Utah was having success early with line breaks. They were running at, at good lines, just making plays. They're athletic guys. They're big guys. They're fast. They can make plays. And Seattle, when they got the ball, it was like they were trying to play the same way. They were then just sending, you know, crazy lines, trying to do, you know, very aggressive support lines, you know, quick taps, counterattacks. They weren't playing their brand. They were they were playing the Utah game. And I think they just they were playing in Utah's comfortable space and they were losing. Uh in, especially in the first half. Second half, I think they reined it in that, you know, they, they had a few minutes to cool down and think about it, and they tried to claw back. And that's where I think you saw Utah's defense really step up. It felt like that dam was going to break at any time the second half and seattle was going to take the lead but utah was dogged in there in defense held the seattle title as long as they could if that game went five more minutes i think seattle would have won but uh you know utah to their credit did a great job of holding them out and i actually agree with the choice to take points there i figure that might be controversial though i think this year i feel like no one takes points um and i think they should be taking points more but especially in this case when you're Worst case, you tie, and you're going to be in a tie for second place, and your last game is a home game against winless Austin. I think you're much better off doing that than risking the loss and now potentially facing a you know a situation where you're not going to be one of the top two seeds in the playoffs.
0: Fair enough. The last game of the weekend uh, was an exhibition match, actually just wrapped up before showtime, that saw uh, uh, Old Glory DC hosting uh, Scotland U20s. Uh, that one came out 70-7 um, to 7 in Scotland's favor. Um, and Aaron, you caught a couple minutes of this game. You want to just fill us in real quick?
2: Yeah, so, I, I mean, in the first half, it was all domination, really. Uh, as the benches changed in the second half, it was like 40, I think it was like 45-7 uh, in the f- ending in the first half with a try sort of right at the end. And there was a try right at the end for Scotland. This is a warm-up game as they head to the junior world championships, which uh, we haven't been uh, the Eagle, the, the junior all Americans have not been to the junior world championships in quite some time. So hopefully uh, MLR gives some nuggets for some guys, more guys to be willing to choose rugby over uh, football at some point. Cause we have a lot of, high school Americans that end up going D one in, in something other than rugby. Uh, but Scotland looked good. Uh, granted it was against this old glory exhibition side, but I thought old glory kind of held it up, uh, pretty good for, for who they were playing against, which is this whole side at some point will be either in the premiership or in the pro 14. So,
0: you know, this is what it is. Fair enough. And like I said, uh, my only criticism of the match was the uh, fact they were playing on a football field, and it just it looked it kind of looked funky. But I'll tell uh, you
2: that sous vide steak that they were cutting on the broadcast looked delicious. Mm-hmm. That that so they were talking about. I think they were talking about food and showing one of the sponsors' things, and they were like slicing up steak to put on this sandwich that they have, which is like meat,
0: and uh, it, it's just it looks delicious but uh, you know talking about food some other yeah stuff. well and honestly if you guys are interested in aaron uh continuing this is the second sandwich he's mentioned this show he does do a, a weekly sandwich <laughs> review show on wednesday night so be sure to tune into all sandwiches considered with aaron castro <laughs> So I just want to take a minute, real quick, and kind of hit on a topic that comes up whenever we have a draw, like we did with Utah versus Seattle, and that is, should Major League Rugby consider getting rid of ties? Um, pro rugby, when it existed, uh, did not have uh, ties. They they had, um, I believe, they had an overtime system, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, so I don't know, Craig, do you want to weigh in on this? Is this a good system to continue with? Do we want to look at changing it? What do you think?
1: Yeah. Um, I haven't feeling this is going to be an unpopular opinion, but I'm actually completely fine with draws in the regular season, obviously. I mean, I, what I'm, what I'm not okay with is an arbitrary way to decide the winner at the end of an 80 minute contest. I mean, if the two teams fought it out that long and they played that close to each other, a draw is a more satisfying end to me than say penalty kicks, which isn't really that representative of the game. The only option I think would make sense from a competitive standpoint is a form of overtime, but there's other issues with overtime, right? I mean, overtime one has player health concerns, but two also could go on forever. I mean, there's no guaranteed amount of time where someone is going to win, even if it's sudden death. I mean, they could play another (laughs) 40 minutes without scoring. I mean, that's, at some point, you have to say, well, okay, there's going to be an end, and we're going to call it a draw. So if that's what we're going to do, to me, let's just get rid of the extra injury risk and call it a draw at the end of 80 minutes. Playoff time, you need to have an overtime. So that's when you'll see um,
2: it. I want to see props kicking, personally, because uh, just, just so I can drink
1: more. It's clearly uh, the fairest way to decide a rugby match, front row <laughs> kickoff. <laughs> uh, so I – I wouldn't mind some type of overs- overtime system,
2: but I think that's more has to do with should rugby and should world rugby make a different rule. Uh, contrary to popular belief though, there are ties in American sports. Uh, there, there are ties in the NFL. Like go watch. I think it, the last one happened a few years ago. Uh, th- there aren't ties that I know of in baseball. I think it it's sort of impossible to have a tie in baseball. Uh there are ties in hockey. There are ties. Uh, I'd have to look, but I think there has been a tie in the NBA. Uh, there are ties. Ooh, in another sport that Americans seem to be flocking to, soccer. There are ties in the MLS. So, would I like some type of overtime system? Maybe a ten-minute period. And if you know it ends up being the same, but at least you gave it ten more minutes, I'm good with that. But uh, I wouldn't, I'm not necessarily good with eliminating draws in at all
0: like okay well i appreciate the insight guys and you know it's one of those issues where i think for me it's an accessibility issue um you know when you talk about it's not american or it is american i don't know if that matters so much but i think it's less satisfying to have a draw um and that would be my only only complaint is that you know when when you're used to things not ending in a draw in a draw or a tie and something does, it, it is it does make it a little bit hard.
2: Hey, you can still have a winner in a draw. Guess who got a bonus point? So if you so, so like so in the, even though Utah was like didn't, you know, win this game, they, they got three points in this one. Uh and uh and Seattle got two. Um, this happened in another game. I believe it was Glendale in one in one of their draws got three points instead of two. So,
0: yeah. All right. Okay, so it is that special time of the night where we go through and uh, see how bad we did last week in our predictions. Um, so, obviously, Liam's not here to defend himself, so we can go ahead and just poke and prod him as much as we want. Uh <laughs> First game of the weekend uh, was Austin Elite at Houston, and that one finished thirty-six to fifteen. Houston, Aaron, you had Houston by fifteen. Uh, Liam had him by twelve, and I had him by ten. So you were the closest. Yes. Good job on that one. Uh, next up, Sunday night was or Sunday afternoon was uh, Nola Gold at Rooney, and Aaron, you had uh, that was twenty-two to twenty-four Rooney's favor. Uh, Aaron you had Rooney by three so close so freaking close Liam had Nola by five and I had Rooney by seven uh, next up was uh, Glendale at Toronto and obviously that was that was the tough one so um, for Glendale fans anyway <laughs> we had uh, 12 to 40 was the final score there in Toronto's favor Aaron you had Toronto by five uh, Liam had glendale by six and i had toronto by three so at least we oh, picked the right team
2: i think you can stick a fork in glendale
0: yeah they're pretty much done uh last game of the weekend was that uh draw and none of us saw that one coming <laughs> so we all had seattle picked uh aaron and liam had seattle by 10 i had seattle by 12 i am i'm so vexed <laughs> 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 so where does that put us with the standings, Aaron?
2: All right. Um, with a full game's worth of points uh, in first place at 11, 3, and 1, with 15 played in one game this weekend to come, is San Diego with 57 table points. And now let's get into the four-way tie for uh, second place based on tiebreakers. New York at 11 and 4 with 53 table points. Uh, so the first tiebreaker is wins. The second tiebreaker is point differential. And so Toronto at 10 and five with uh, plus 108 points and 53 table points to fourth places, 10 and 10 and one, uh, with 53 table points, Seattle Seawolves, who has, who is plus 81. So, uh, Toronto is ahead due to a, uh, 27 point greater point differential but if it went down to another tiebreaker they also have more tries uh scored (laughs) and then in fifth place at 9-6-0 is new orleans at 53 points again so uh they haven't won as many games of course so sucks to be them and then uh seemingly um they will finish in sixth place. Uh, there is no way for Houston to reach them. But at seven six and two, and what could be uh, seven seven and two after this Thursday, four to three table points is the Glendale Raptors uh, in seventh place. Uh, we will get the battle for seventh place on. Uh, yeah, the battle for 7th place on Saturday on yeah, on Saturday between the Houston SaberCats and the Utah Warriors but at 4:10 and 0, 20 table points is the Houston SaberCats at 211 and 2 with 20 table points in 8th place is the Utah Warriors and the listless undefeated 0 and 15 Austin Elite with four table points.
1: Winless, they're winless. They're not undefeated.
2: Oh, they, they, are, they are
1: defeated. They're
2: defeat But they're undefeated. That is what. There's two ways to be undefeated. To be perfect and lose every game <laughs> and to win it every game.
1: <laughs> so so
0: uh, for next week then, yeah, like you mentioned, we've got a midweek game this week. So uh, this is the makeup for the – Glendale Houston game that was rained out a few weeks ago. So, Wednesday night, 8 30 p.m. Eastern, on Facebook Watch, will be Glendale visiting Aviva Stadium and the Houston Sabercats. Aaron, what you got on this one? Uh,
2: hmm, I think I'm going to Houston minus four, but I feel it that it could get worse. Greg? Get, get worse for Glendale or Houston? Get worse for Glendale. I think Houston's like. Houston's going to win this, but I think Glendale could lay a freaking egg and get beat by 40 again.
1: Yeah, I think this game, Houston really has everything to play for, and Glendale has not that much to play for. In Houston, I think Houston's going to win as well, though I'm giving it a close spread. I'm going to say Houston by one.
0: And I'm going the other way on this one. I think uh, Glendale's going to find something to work for him or – Houston's just going to forget how to play. Um, and I think Glendale's going to win by five. So we'll we'll see how that works out. Uh, so then the second game of the week is also Austin, or Houston. And this one is Houston traveling to Utah. This is 8 p.m. Saturday on CBS Sportsnet. Aaron, what you got on this one? Well, it's at a good
2: time. So I'm going to be at the lake all day. So that's going to be cool. I. Uh, So I don't think Houston's going to get, I think Houston could get both game could win both games, but I think that they're just with how close with no time to rest. I would say the Utah Warriors eke it out. Utah minus three.
1: Agreed. I mean, three day turnaround. They couldn't even be like the last game on the weekend. They play midweek and then to the first game again on Saturday. That's just too quick of a turnaround time. I say
0: Utah by five. And I'm just feeling very contrarian here, so I'm going to go with Houston winning this one by 10, because why the hell not? <laughs> All right, uh, Sunday, 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 we've got uh, Rooney at Toronto. This is 1 p.m. Eastern on ESPN+. Plus. Um, I think this is going to be a game to watch this weekend. I really do. I think the last two games could be pretty good. Oh, I guess there's the last one. So anyway, uh, yeah, so (laughs) what do you think, Aaron? Well, the the first
2: game of the weekend is – or of Sunday um, is New York at Toronto. So, well, I I just – based on the last few games, I don't think New York is performing nearly where I thought they could have been and maybe with, uh, you know, now two games of Cajal, a healthy Cajal, Marsh Marshback. Uh, that will be different, but I'm thinking the defense of Toronto, the discipline of Toronto is really going to play uh, a role here. And then the scrum for both is going to be, I I don't think one may necessarily be dominant. So with that, uh, the home side, I I think is going to win out um, and they will make it to the playoffs as the two seed. That's what I'm thinking. Toronto minus five.
1: Yep. I I agree with most of that. I think, both of these teams are playoff caliber teams, but Toronto is just so hot right now. And playing at home, when these guys met earlier this year in New York, Rooney won, but they snuck it out of the end. And uh, considering how well Toronto is playing right now, I just see this going their way. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to say Toronto by six, but bonus point that means for New York, which uh, could be critical in the uh, final playoff tally.
0: Yep. And I'm I'm on board with this one. I think uh, Toronto's gonna take this one, but I think it is gonna be close. I'm giving them uh, three points there. So uh then 7 30 p.m. on Sunday, we have got Nola at San Diego. And uh yeah, so Nola Gold, who's had um an outstanding season. I mean, there's just no two ways about it, is now in a real there's a real chance that they're gonna miss the playoffs. Um <laughs> What do you guys think? What's the line on this one?
2: So there's a way in for them if they only get one bonus point, but it it requires other stuff to happen. <laughs> uh, Nolan needs two bonus points or a win to get it to – a win gets them in the playoffs, uh, two bonus points, and somebody else screwing up uh, gets them in the playoffs. But I, I don't think they're going to get two bonus points out of this, and I think San Diego is, is going to hum – and they will show that they are out for blood, like they have the whole second half of the season going. San Diego minus ten.
1: Uh, Aaron and Courtney, have you guys heard any about Joe Peterson's health? Uh, he still- yeah,
2: Peterson's going to be good to go. He was he just had a dead leg, uh, so they just he was going to come off the bench versus Utah, but they just decided to, to rest him. And you know, Tyonosa Ty played pretty well. You know, the whole he played a whole game, which is something we hadn't seen. From Tayonosa uh because they've just ridden Joe Peterson like hardcore most of the season, although Ty had backed him up uh nine times before like earning his first start, but joe is Joe's ready to go, and he's had two weeks off, so uh yeah, sucks to be Nola, I'm telling you yeah
1: well that that bodes well for San Diego, not so much for Nola. Tyino is great, but uh, you know Joe Peterson is one of the most valuable players to me playing in San Diego, these two sides just faced off San Diego one in NOLA hard to see them reversing that here. So I'm going to say San Diego by seven
0: and I'm going to say San Diego by three, but that is only because I think NOLA is going to try their darndest to come away with a win on this one. So, uh, then the last game of the weekend, uh, starts half an hour later at 8 PM Eastern on ESPN plus as well. And that is Austin at Seattle. So, um, yeah, I think we all kind of figure how this one's going to go, guys. Uh,
2: yeah, uh, so I think Seattle gets a bonus point win here. They will secure the three seed for the playoffs uh, going Seattle minus 15.
1: Can you imagine if Austin won this game? What that would do to the playoffs? What it would do to their own, their undefeated season? I mean – it would be a totally different look if they won this if, game if Austin, Seattle out. If Austin win this, <laughs> that I mean, the would whole be some, season was redeemed. That, yeah, that would be wild. Like, like their one win takes out last year's champion out of the twenties. If Austin this, I, I don't think mean, that's gonna happen. No. Seattle by fourteen.
0: And I'm saying uh Seattle by ten on this one, but yeah, Austin Austin has the, the ultimate spoiler, that would be that would be uh, something to see for sure, but this is starting to sound like guys who uh, hate Seattle or something, and we don't want to be accused of that, so I think we're going to say Seattle wins this one. Yeah. All right, so uh, last bit of the show is always my favorite, and uh, that's where we get to take some questions from Bob. I always like to say questions for Bob come to us mostly from our Reddit page and that's reddit.com slash r slash major league what slash r slash ml rugby. I didn't know Uh, that. I I haven't gone to
2: this new Reddit that
0: you started. Yeah, right. Uh, The first one I started wasn't good enough, so I started a new one. (laughs) Yeah, so reddit.com slash r slash ml rugby. Go there, ask your questions, and uh, we'll talk about them on air. So. First up, Conky 2195 what led to the downfall of NOLA Gold and the rise of the Toronto Arrows? Aaron?
2: Scrum stuff, man. Uh, they
0: they really
2: uh, have sort of struggled, and and then they lost Ben Tar for the season. Uh, I think John Sullivan and some other locks uh, got knocked out. We haven't seen uh, William Wagus pack since the beginning of the season, so it's, uh, you know... Uh, you get some injuries up front and it can derail a season. Now, are they out of it? I mean, they're still in it. Like it requires some other teams to also perform to, to secure their percentage. So a lot of destinies are in the hands of the teams, um, that play on Sunday.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I think downfall of Nola's pretty harsh. Uh, they are still tied for second. Uh, but, I mean, look, it's a long season, and the things that were very effective at the beginning, teams will address that and start to prepare for it and game plan for it. I think you see defenses giving Nola a lot less space out wide. You remember that first uh, fixture against Toronto where Nola just swung it from side to side and ran through almost unopposed on the edges. Teams don't want him do that anymore. Um, so they, they've had to adjust a little bit, and they haven't been quite as effective. Um Toronto's rise I think was pretty much inevitable they were missing 10 11 internationals at the beginning of the year and they were playing on the road and they were an expansion team I think as those things faded away and they started having home stretches they had MLR experience and they got their full squad back um you know they were always going to rise
0: all right the tallest gnome asks how come the announcers for the Toronto arrows game are terrible (laughs)
1: come on now look uh mlr is a startup league and it's trying to do something very ambitious i get it you know mileage may vary on any given set of broadcasters any presentation but i think it's appropriate to sit back and remember just how much has been accomplished in two years i mean pro three years ago or four years ago whatever it was didn't even have broadcasts so uh, yeah i mean it's easy to nitpick about the quality of this or that but Considering what they're putting on and how quickly they did it, I think it's uh, it's pretty impressive, and I'm happy with it. Hey man, you're, you're the you're the
2: Canadian fan. If, if you want to know, you can you can ask uh, Toronto why they have two Texans calling their games every week. So uh, if I, I wanted to hear some don't you knows and some and some like you know <laughs> another
1: penalty, what's that a boot?
2: Yeah, yeah. I wanted to hear some Canadians speak, so if you if you want to talk to the Toronto peeps about that, you do that. Um but uh that that's what I gotta say. If you don't I don't know why. I don't know. Um if you I however, I don't want to hear Gareth Rees call Toronto games. No. No, no, and no.
0: Okay, uh, yeah. So, Tobar the Gypsy, aka Dan Brown, aka fellow New Yorker, with you, Craig. Uh, how long until every single union player abandons the sport, seeing the and glory of rugby league? This might be a little tongue in cheek. <laughs> um. Hmm. Uh. uh
2: in, in, in fact, I'm. I'm quitting this to join Aussie, Aussie rules. So, uh, you won't see me next week.
1: Yeah. Uh, I think right after they write, rewrite game of Thrones season eight, that's when the big switch to rugby league will probably happen. Um, I mean, look, I, I, I follow rugby more than probably 99% of Americans. I have no idea what's going on in rugby league. Um, I don't think it's that close to taking over. All that said, you know, I, I favor the growth of rugby in various codes and formats. So I hope they uh, I hope they have success.
0: Yeah, there is a philosophy that says, you know, rising water raises all boats or whatever that is. So yeah. Uh, all right. Uh score scorus sixty seven. Why is Derek Summers so biased against the Seawolves? As seen in the last several fixtures which he refed. Um, not just the most recent game against Utah.
1: Yeah, look, I mean, I I don't know Derek Summers personally, but I can assure you he is not biased against Seattle. You know, in general, I try to avoid too much critique of the referees. I think they have a really difficult job, and I think in general, they do it pretty well in the sense that they guide the game forward in a way that the result is the outcome of the two rugby teams playing and not – the outcome of some call interpretation they've made or some controversial decision they've made. Um, like everything else, MLR is a work in progress. And I hate to bring it to you, but at every level of rugby, people complain about the refs. They complain about the refs in the Six Nations. They complain about the refs in the World Cup. People are always complaining about referees. It's part of life, but it's also part of the, the nature of the game because there are so many very borderline calls that have to be made in snap decisions for an 80-minute period people are going to disagree with the calls. Um, What I can't really remember is any game being decided by bad calls in the MLR. Um, So I think overall I count that as a win.
2: So there's a lot of chatter on social about Derek Summers, and there was a lot of disgusting chatter on social about Derek Summers saying he was biased, saying uh, one of the things uh, that the reason why he called the game – way he called uh he's not lds so whoever said that um no um i think we just had a crazy uh thing about inclusivity in rugby in another country um no that 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 was that comment was uncalled for if uh a he doesn't live in utah he's not from utah he's from oklahoma and he lives in texas um, Derek Summers has been an international-level referee for going on five years. Did he have a bad game? I don't know. I think the Seawolves had a bad game. They had enough calls and enough turnovers go in their favor um, to that they could have capitalized upon. So he's not freaking biased. Um, will Richard Every, the high-performance referee manager, uh, give him a pretty hard uh evaluation it's possible i I don't necessarily know if he called a bad game uh if you want to talk about other referees there were a lot of calls made by the uh south side south side touch judge so what about that guy well i'm not going to attack local high performance referees because most of the the officials that uh are on the touchline are the local high performance referees that are in Panerfu so Pacific North Rugby Football Union. So Derek Summers isn't biased and did he have a bad game, maybe, but I thought he I would say he had a bad game that affected both teams. There were calls I didn't like on on that affected both teams. So uh, one of the thing, one of the rugby values is respect and respect for referees. And that's, that goes beyond just like players respecting the referee and saying, sir, and all that stuff. It's, uh, I, I guess, you know, we're, we're sort of used to holding our referees to a standard and, and it's, they have, like Craig said, they have a tough job. We have a referee shortage in America. We have a referee shortage in rugby Across the globe, there is an official shortage in high school football in the state of Washington. There is an official shortage in high school football in the state of Texas. Being a ref sucks because you work for people that hate you and you facilitate a game where people are really passionate about. And I'm friends with these guys and I'm the first one to... like, kick them in the nuts if they had a bad game. Like, I am. You can ask Scott Green. I He was on MLR Kickoff last week, and I'm trying to get him on a longer-form podcast to where we can talk about refereeing in North America, like, on a grander scale. And, you know, it's, it's just different. Like, this is, you know, I don't know. When I saw that stuff today, I got really pissed off because it wasn't, you know, the simple... Hey ref, you're blowing the game. It was attacking someone for no reason because your team lost. Like, who cares? Like that that is not what being a rugby fan is about. Um, you know, respect for the referee. It goes it goes to the fans as well.
0: All right. Well, uh, congratulations, Scorus. Uh, I think you officially poked Aaron on that one. He yeah. <laughs> that's <was> a good <laughs> answer. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, Colorado mines coal. How is it possible to have some parity in the league? Salary caps are cool.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, I th- that's a good question. You know, I think that's been one of the best features of the league. Um, you know, sometimes is there a certain level of inconsistency day to day when you have non-professional, non-full-time. Or I should say non-professional, but non-full-time. People, uh, you know, leading to inconsistent results that takes the form of parity, maybe to a certain extent. But I really do think the league has a tremendous level of parity. And it's, you know, I don't know what what the reason is, but it's great. And I hope they keep it up.
0: Well, and to that one, I would just say we've got four teams tied in points right now. And I don't, you know, four out of the nine teams. So I'm not sure how we could bring more parity to this process. That's pretty evenly matched from the sounds of it. All right. Uh, switching over to Twitter for a minute. Uh, Life Love Rugby at LLRugby, who is the best impact player off the bench? Uh, another good question. Uh,
1: Tainosa springs to mind. You know, he's done a tremendous job, I, particularly I remember in that NOLA game coming in off the bench. Um, I don't know who you consider the starter these days between Will, Maggie, and Atamalifa, but one of those two, whoever's not the starter off the bench, is it, a pretty big impact. And um I think Phil Mack is actually a very good impact player off the bench. Uh he hasn't been starting this year, but when he comes in, he, he does bring a certain level of leadership that I think really helps.
2: Uh Tyonosa was, was the big one. Uh if if Phil Mack was starting and JP Smith was back on the bench coming off, uh JP Smith has been very good off the bench for the Seattle Sea Wolves because he is a different style of scrimmage. The beast himself. Uh it's it it takes like two really good flankers to keep Eric Duchal off the pitch for 50 minutes and then him come and be like crazy effective when he gets the ball he just he, he kills people in the same way that like a Samu Manoa does uh, Michael Basca for for uh, for Nola gold has been very effective off the bench, uh, playing scrum half a position. I really didn't know, like he hadn't played a whole lot of, uh, you know, down at Lindenwood. So but he has been very good off the bench when they needed a change of pace or, uh, Holden younger, picked up a niggle. And it's, it's really, it's really nice to have two very young scrum
0: halves when you're starting a brand new team. All right. And a second one from LL rugby, what are your thoughts on the Super Sevens competition? So
2: I can go into this a lot if you want. Um, you can at me. I don't care. Um. So. Consu- so last summer they were supposed to have a draft and have already played a season. I'm not really expecting much other than Twitter. That's it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know too much about it other than what I see on Twitter or on other social media. Uh, but, I mean, I touched on this before. I, I'm not against Super 7's right. But I hope they do great. I, I'm definitely in the camp of let's grow the rugby pie rather than worry about fighting over whose slice is bigger. Um, so, you know, I, I haven't seen much. I really, you know, nothing's led me to believe that it's about to break out. But, uh, again, if it does, I'll be a happy guy. I'm, I'm rooting for them too.
0: Okay, Craig. Can I get you on record right now saying that you will cover Super Sevens matches if they get started?
1: Yes, you got it, Corey. So <laughs> you and you and James Rowe are going to be the uh, are you going to be the be... voice of Super Sevens rugby? <laughs> 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 hey, if
2: you if you guys if Super Sevens wants to uh, t- to pay for some good voices, you know, Earful of Dirt is uh, an American RFC are, are here for you.
1: What would the earful of dirt name translate to Super Sevens rugby? Like earful of air. I don't know what happens in Sevens. Not, not, not as much dirt. Uh. <laughs> oh, man.
0: Section uh, namesake Bob B. Boberson asks: What are the color codes for Austin's colors based on their style guide? Uh, so I
2: think it's going to be the orange is uh number number symbol FF8C00 and the blue is going to be number symbol 00BFF F there's three Fs.
0: Uh, so yeah it's a strange question from Bob I'm wondering if he's thinking about switching teams cuz he's an old school Utah <laughs> no, fan. No
2: no no. No so Austin has you know a couple of weeks Uh, Ago they secured the wooden Dougie and uh, this is, uh, you know, how to, you know, help. I I don't know if he's going to paint it first, (laughs) but I I think that's has something to do with it. Maybe send them a plaque. I don't know.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. Craig, did you have any thoughts on this particular question?
1: Uh, I think I already covered it. Uh, I don't know what else I could add except watch out when they beat Seattle this week. Uh, everyone's going to be singing <laughs> a different tune. Uh.
0: Okay. Uh, Jerry Rugby on uh, Reddit asks, higher seeds get home playoff games? Question Thought so.
2: But I don't even know anymore. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, I don't know. If they don't, that really makes this weekend uh, a lot less exciting. But uh, I guess they're still playing that fourth spot, so they'll, they'll be starting to watch no matter what.
0: All right, and last question of the night from Twitter. T-Roy the Tighthead, and that's at T-X-N-G-8-R, Texan Greater. Can the Sabercats beat Glendale after such a short turnaround and then do it again versus Utah a few days later? And I feel like we kind of hit on this during uh, our predictions, but...
1: Yeah. Can they? Sure. I mean, I think they're they're playing with swag right now. Uh, neither of these other two teams need a win. I think Houston may, may be playing for the most pride, but uh, I don't think they will. I think they'll win one. I think they'll gear up for Glendale and probably win that one, and then what's left over will be a, a pretty tired group of guys that uh, will struggle against Utah. But maybe it'll go the other way. I, I see them winning one of two. Yeah, they I
2: I agree. Uh, Houston has a lot of pride to play for, definitely for next season, and you're seeing that with uh, how they've responded to Paul Emmerich. Uh, but I, I agree. I think they'll beat Glendale, and they might beat Glendale convincingly. But if they come out with an injury or two, uh, you know, Utah has been playing well, and I, I don't really think they'll be rested enough to to win the game. I think that they will play a good game. So
0: yeah. I think it would also help if uh, Joseph Visi can avoid a red card. That would be good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That, that's it. Guys, we made it. Uh, Craig, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being here. Um, thank you for having me. I loved it. Uh, did anybody have any final thoughts on um, our way tonight?
2: Um, no, it's uh, you know good to, good to always see everyone. Um, and, Craig, thanks for filling in. Uh, if – Uh, The NSCRO Rugby Championships are archived, so if you want to see what Liam was doing, uh, you can go watch those, I think, on NSCRO's Facebook. Uh, So, um, And if you're an MLR GM who happens to be listening to this, you should watch those games because there are some highly talented players that uh, were hidden because the... Well, uh, the the makeup of uh, National Small College Rugby Organization is very interesting. You have a lot of schools that play Division II football. And there are a lot of players on these rosters this weekend that played Division II scholarship football and are playing rugby. So you've got some high-level athletes out there that you can go pluck.
0: All right. Anything else for us on the way out, Craig?
1: Thanks for having me. Uh, happy Memorial Day, everyone. Yep.
0: And give us a plug for your website and Twitter one more time.
1: Sure, uh, you can find me writing most often for the Runner Sports, and on Twitter, you can find me at American RFC.
0: Super duper. Okay, uh, on our way out, please note that the opinions expressed on this broadcast are those of the hosts and guests, and do not necessarily reflect the beliefs or practices of Major League Rugby, uh, the league or its teams. Aaron Castro is employed by Major League Rugby, please note that. Be sure to tune in next week. We're live again on YouTube Monday evening and available on your favorite podcast platform every Wednesday morning. If you like what we do, please uh, subscribe to our YouTube and iTunes feeds and it helps folks find us. And be sure to share your own news, views, and abuse with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or via email at earfulofdirt at gmail.com thank you as always so much for listening we will be back next monday night until then get out there and watch some rugby thank you for listening to earful of dirt the major league rugby podcast we're live each monday night on youtube available for download every wednesday morning through your favorite podcast provider and always online at earfulofdirt.com subscribe to our channel on youtube and like us on facebook twitter and instagram You can share your thoughts with us via our voicemail by calling 720-600-2679. We're live again next Monday at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. We'll see you then.